So Money episode 1157, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Friday, February 5th, 2021. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Welcome to the show. This is Ask Farnoosh Friday, where we answer your biggest money questions. This week, we have questions about whether or not to quit a job and start a business, what to do with a signing bonus that somebody received from work, a nice, sizable bonus, and then how to teach money to kids of all ages, from five to 18. What do you do throughout the years? Are there any tools? Are there any tricks? Are there any important messages? I've got all the advice. But first, let's head over to the iTunes review section, pick out our winner of the week, someone who left a review recently. This person will get a free 15-minute money session with me. This week, I'm going to say thanks to Ava ADZ, who on Tuesday left a review or posted on Tuesday entitled Learning More About Life. Ava says, I already feel like I know the basics about money and I use the podcast to get ideas of how to live. I started listening to at least two other podcasts because of guests Farnoosh has had on, including Organized 365 and Popcorn Finance. I love the episode where she talked about the three questions to guide your financial priorities. What would you do if you won the lottery? What would you do in five to 10 years? And what would you do if you found out you had an illness and only a month left to live? I don't remember that episode. I'm gonna have to go back. Was that the the George Kinder episode? Who's the grandfather of financial planning, financial life planning? I'm gonna go back and listen to that because in life, every once in a while, it's helpful to answer those questions. What would you do if you won the lottery? What would you do in the next five to 10 years? Or what do you want to do in the next five to 10 years? And what would you want your life to become and to define if you found out you only had a month left to live? Reminds me, I got to go update uh, the will and the insurance policies. I haven't done that since our daughter was born. A little behind. Thanks to this podcast for keeping me accountable. But my friend, Ava, please get in touch. Let me know that you left this review. You can do so by emailing me, farnooshitsomoneypodcast.com or on Instagram. Direct message me there. I'm at Farnoosh Tarabi on Instagram. Let me know and I will send back a link for you to select a 15-minute window for you and I to chat about whatever you want. Maybe, you know, go through some of these questions. Since last Friday's episode, when we talked about GameStop, some follow-up questions to that from the audience has been, all right, so what do I think about Robinhood? And you know, I have done some work on this. I've written an article recently about my thoughts on Robinhood. It was actually before a lot of this GameStop brouhaha. And it kind of makes my theory on Robinhood that much firmer. And I don't have a different opinion of Robinhood than I did at the beginning of the year. And when I say Robinhood, I really mean like Robinhood and all lot of of these other uh, apps that promote trading as opposed to investing that make it really simple and easy and no dollars to trade and all of that. And um, I actually had someone write in and say that he was unhappy with the fact that I was a little too lenient on Robinhood in my article, uh, that I didn't take them to task enough. But I think I did. <laughs> I mean, like, I basically said, like, 
beware of, of Robin Hood and proceed with caution. I wrote about this for nextadvisor.com. The article starts out with my experience buying some stock, which I have really never done. Like I've never bought individual shares outright, but I was tempted to buy, as some of you know, because you listen to the show, Party City, which I have since sold. But I did that on Robinhood. I talk about what I learned using Robinhood as a user and what I thought of it and how I would recommend it to somebody else. And my takeaways are this. One, it's convenient. I'll give it that. It provides access, easy access to making a quick stock purchase if you're into that thing. But the best part of the investment platform, which is the convenience and ease, is really the potential financial pitfall for a lot of users. It makes trading too easy, too attractive, and it can feel too much like a game, which can then become quote unquote addictive. So you all know me. I support democratizing the financial world, providing more affordable entry points for investors. So to that end, I appreciate these apps for you know their zero account minimums and making trading essentially free. But it's not to say that it doesn't come at a cost when something like this exists, because it does promote excessive trading. It does promote making emotional moves. The app is full of triggers and colorful buttons, and it feels like a casino in there as opposed to a place to be investing your money for the long run. So it's not a money-making tool. It shouldn't be this thrilling, really. There are problems that happen, big, costly problems that can happen when we get too excited when we trade. And then it doesn't promote buying and holding. And there will be mistakes that you'll make. I made one. And so the bottom line is, for me, and I think for a lot of us who are interested in building wealth, is to approach investing as an investor, not a trader. And apps like Robinhood promote trading. Better to have clear goals and objectives before getting in the market. Now, I say this as somebody who bought shares of a stock. I didn't follow my own advice in this case, but I'm also not somebody who betted the farm. You know, I basically bought a little bit and it became a mechanism by which I would talk to my brother about it because he did it too. It became, we were talking about our like sports team together, you know, and I did make money, by the way, and I did sell it soon sooner than later. But um, I frankly just got tired of it. You know, I just got tired of the whole experience and I just wanted to cash out and cash out my gains and call it a day. And I have no interest in going back to the Robinhood app for any particular reason. It was important for me to do that, I think, so that I could have even just this experience of telling you what it's like to use Robinhood as from the perspective of a user. So if you want to invest, you should. But I would recommend alternatives like Fidelity, E-Trade, Charles Schwab. These are legacy investment platforms and brokerages where you don't just buy a stock, you can open up an IRA, a Roth IRA, and really invest for growth and for the long term. So that's my opinion, as some of you had asked, and I'm just going to give that to you before we get over to the mailbag. But if you haven't checked out my GameStop episode, it was one of the most popular episodes of January and still, because a lot of you are interested in learning about what the heck was going on with that thing. Dr. Hans Boateng, the investing tutor, joined me and that was last Friday. He breaks it down very neatly, gives you the language so that you can go explain that to your friends at the dinner table tonight or tomorrow and sound really smart. 
Before we get to the mailbag, I just want to give a shout out to a few of my students from our Pace to Podcast program. I've been doing this for a while now because there's a few podcasts to get through. There were over 40 shows that launched in our eight-week incubator and many more launched after eight weeks, but we wanted to reward those who stuck with the program and did it in the eight weeks uh, by giving them a shout out on my podcast. Okay, so next show I want to tell you about is Coffee and Converse, hosted by Diane Mayer. Diane is super funny and super relatable. Coffee and Converse is for lifestyle entrepreneurs who are over the trendy tactics and ready for successful strategies to fast track their business and lifestyle goals. If you're building a business to support your life instead of living to build a business, this show is for you, Coffee and Converse. Next up, Confidence from Within. Congrats to our student, Juliana Lehman. In the show, she challenges your old beliefs when it comes to weight loss. This podcast is designed to show you that achieving your ideal weight is an internal game, what we like to call weight release, and to spark mind shifts for women on their weight release journey. We're going through the C's here, as you can tell. Content That Converts is next, hosted by Olivia Angelescu. The show is all about minimalist marketing, also known as No Hassle, that makes our audience happy, not angry. I need to listen to this show. With every episode, certified content strategist Olivia Angelescu shares a roadmap to create and promote content in a way that moves the needle in your business. And finally, check out Creatives Do Money. Host Eowyn Levine is a longtime self-employed massage therapist and money mentor. The show explores building financial stability on variable income and how to move past hustling anxiously for the next dollar. Now in the ever-exploding gig economy, the show will fit in very nicely. Creatives Do Money. All right, let's visit the So Money mailbag. These questions arrived from Instagram, direct messaging me, or my email, farnooshatsomoneypodcast.com, as well as the website, somoneypodcast.com, clicking on the button, Ask Farnoosh. Here's Paige's question, who is starting a new job, and she says, I am getting a $40,000 signing bonus. What are your thoughts on what I should do with this? I have minimal credit card debt, an emergency fund that will cover six months of expense is about 42,000. And I am matching out my 401k at 10% and getting a 3% match from my company on top of that. So 13% in total. Should I put it in savings? Should I invest this? Thank you so much for your help. All right, Paige, good problems, right? $40,000 signing bonus. This is basically getting a nice windfall. Some of you might be getting a windfall with tax season approaching, getting a refund. I have people writing in talking about receiving an inheritance. What do you do with it? So the first rule I have with any lump sum that you get is to put it in the bank account. Like just let it sit there for a little bit unless you have real conviction. You know, you absolutely know what you want to do. In this case, it doesn't sound like Paige knows what she should do with it. I did read that you have some credit card debt. Although it's minimal, I would take this opportunity to get rid of all of your credit card debt because that's who wants that, right? And now you've got the money. I would save some of this for taxes. I don't know if your employer is going to automatically take out the taxes or if you have to claim this on your taxes. It's not clear to me. So if your employer does not automatically take out the taxes, then you want to set aside you know, 30% of this for the IRS. I don't know what your exact tax bracket is, 
but around 30%, let's say. So effectively, that leaves you with around $30,000, $25,000 still a lot of money. So step one, just put it in the bank account where it's safe and you can take a bit of time to think about it. And what I want you to think about is this time next year, what is something that was on my goals list that now I can accelerate because I have this money? So do you have goals? If you don't, you need to figure that out. What are some things that you would like to accomplish in the next few years that maybe now you can accomplish sooner? Because we'd all like to do that, like right? We would all have to get a head start on our goals. This money can be a head start to some of those goals or one of those goals. For example, if your goal was to move to a nicer neighborhood, get a more spacious apartment, could this $40,000 or really $30,000 after taxes be a way for you to do that this year versus next year? Because maybe improving where you live and your living lifestyle, you've identified that as a top goal. Do you want to buy a house, right? Could this money help to accelerate a home purchase because this money plus the savings that you were planning to do anyway will help you to get a down payment together much faster on a home that you would like to buy in the next few years. You could do that in the next 18 months or two years now. See how I'm thinking about this? It's like, how can this money, and I love lump sums because it really does allow that person who's got goals to put pedal to the metal, work quicker. If you have absolutely no life goals, which is fine, like you really love your life, so that's great. (laughs) I wanna be you. Uh, And you don't have any ambitions, financial ambitions that, or ambitions that carry costs in the next zero to say three years or five years, then maybe part of this you could invest. And I think about myself in my 40s, what do I wanna do with my money that feels a little bit extra and also more personal? And I have identified things like investing in art and going on trips more, especially COVID, right? Has really made us all feel experiences are far more valued now. So putting more money towards that and not really pinching pennies because I'm going to splurge a little bit more on a hotel room or a nice seat on an airplane or going somewhere exotic because pandemics are apparently a thing. So to answer your question, what do you do with this lump sum? Your bigger question really is, what do I want to do in my life that's important to me? And how can this money, this new lump sum, can help to accelerate those ambitions? So that's your assignment. And let us know what you end up doing, because this is the fun of being part of a community. We are all invested in your success page. And by the way, I've been doing a lot of um, late night internet search for artists. It's really uh, different now. The way that people identify their favorite art pieces is, is entirely online. I mean, I used to go to galleries before the pandemic, but a lot of times those those pieces were beyond my budget, but it was just nice to see. Uh, I just love experiencing uh, visual art. So I've been going down a lot of Instagram rabbit holes with art. And of course, now internet knows that I'm interested in art. So I, I get a lot of that in my feed and in my uh, web browsing. So one of the, I just want to tell you some of the cool stuff that I've identified. One is happy art, H-A-P-I art. This is totally extra. Like you weren't even asking for this, but I'm just going to go here because um, it's something that I've been interested in. And I thought maybe there are some people out there who are looking for not too crazy expensive art. So Happy Art is Christy Kohut or Kohut. And she 
creates original pieces, which go for up to like four, five, six thousand dollars. But then there's also reprints. So you can get something for like $90 on Minted that is a replica of something original that she's made. And her stuff is super fun. It's jolly. It's colorful. And as I'm remodeling our home, I'm looking for that vibe. I'm looking for a very warm, welcoming, uh, you know, family-friendly exciting vibe. And she really does fit that description. So check her out if you're interested. Another artist is actually an African artist. I don't even know how I discovered him. I think it was just (laughs) the bounty of Instagram. Kader Boley, K-A-D-E-R-B-O-L-Y. I'm regretting telling you any of this because you're probably going to go buy all of his art now and won't leave me any good pieces. But Kader Boley is you know, it's not the happiest art, but it's interesting and it's got a really cool story. So he is a young artist from Burkina Faso in Africa. Um, His family, which is the Fulani tribe, part of the Fulani tribe, they were nomadic herders. So talk about a world away and somebody who has had a completely different life experience, who then now creates art inspired from his incredible life experience. And a lot of it is inspired by the animals, the pastures. It's just, it's just beautiful. And, um, you know, I like art where I kind of know where the artist is coming from and what their perspectives are and their life story. It brings the art to life. It gives the art so much more meaning. And um, I'm considering buying some piece or two from him because I just think he's fabulous. So thanks, Instagram for uh, educating me on some of the up-and-coming artists of today. I digress. Let's move on. A friend in our Instagram community says, Hey, Farnoosh, I just started listening to your podcast and it has been a life-changing experience. I didn't realize how my story could change the life of others and especially how important it is to become a woman in business. Here's my story. I'm working at one of the top credit unions in the nation. It's a dream job, but I feel the urge to take a leap and start my own business as a financial coach under Dave Ramsey. I just got a certificate in accounting with an entrepreneurship emphasis. I would love your input. I have come a long way. Eight years ago, I was in a very abusive relationship. I was homeless. I was addicted to drugs. Since then, I've gotten my life together. I got married and we just bought our first home last year. This month, I opened up a money market account and a Roth IRA. I'm so excited for my future and I want to help others, but I'm feeling nervous about quitting my job. Well, my friend, here's some good news, which you probably already have figured out about yourself, is you're so brave. You're so courageous. You can do anything you want. You can do absolutely anything you want. And I have a podcast that's coming out soon with Laura Day, who is an intuitive. I want you to wait for this episode before you make a decision because it's going to come out in a few weeks. But she's basically, her expertise, her life's work is helping others to follow their intuition. First, identifying intuition, because what is that? And allowing it to steer us in the right direction, because sometimes intuition steers us into the wrong direction, but how to cleanse and have like a filtering system so that you can really lean into what your mind is telling you is the right move for you. I think that given your 
summary of your story, of your life story of having been in an abusive relationship and then homelessness and poverty. And now, oh my gosh, the arc to your story is triumphant. It's absolutely heroic. I have to believe that you're somebody who is very good at making decisions, right? Realizing uh, how to correct a wrong, how to work hard, how to apply your work ethic and smarts and talents to getting what you want. So you've already done a lot of triumphant things. You can do this. You can do this. You can do anything. And I think what, if I'm to offer some advice here, just to make sure that the transition is smooth, that you're doing this with some good timing, is don't quit your job right now. If you're nervous about quitting your job, then there's probably something that's keeping you there because it's providing that sense of security. It's that consistent paycheck. And I know, obviously, for someone who came from a life of scarcity and threat, that to be now in a place where you have abundance and you have things going for you, there's a resistance, right, to take on more risk because you're worried about things not working out. And like I said before, you are the queen of figuring things out. You already know what it's like to be homeless and you're not going to go back to that point. Like you're just not, you know, um, you're not going to, if your fears are, I'm going to quit my job and start this, you know, helping people. And, and if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out, guess what? You have savings. You have already the track record of getting a great job. So guess what? You could do it again. I just want to make sure that when you make this transition, that you do give yourself financial runway, right? Because we know that when we're starting a business or when we're starting to take a freelance pursuit full-time, that we need months, maybe a year for things to really build up and to get that consistent revenue stream and get to a place where we feel like we can really support ourselves and our families. And maybe we're not entirely replacing our income, but we are close to it. And so you want to give yourself at least a year's worth of your living expenses saved so that you can really approach this with financial freedom. And then you can approach this with freedom of mind and less stress. Because if you're always wondering about how you're going to make your bills, why you're trying to you know, build this business... Um, you're not going to be able to give the business your total focus and the focus that it needs. And you might stop doing it before you give it really a proper chance. So you can absolutely, and I would, I mean, your story needs to be heard. <laughs> I want to hear more about your story. How did you get out of this ab abusive relationship? How did you get yourself out of homelessness? How did you recover from your addiction to drugs? And then, you know, there's so many parts of your story. Everybody would love to hear more about this because it is the truth of you. And I think you're going to be able to help so many people. So if you feel a calling, follow the calling. As your podcast host friend, I want to make sure that you also protect yourself, right? It's all about protecting ourselves, making sure that we have financial independence, savings, financial security, so we can do the thing that we love and not have to worry about money. And guess what? If it doesn't work out or you discover you hate it, or it's not what you thought it was going to be, you can always go back to getting a dream job because you did it once. You can do it again. All right. Our next friend who's got a question is Katie. Katie says, I'm sourcing for ideas for my nieces and nephews ages 5 to 13. Their parents are trying to find ways to teach them financial literacy and practices so they understand taxes, savings, 
all of it. Are there tools you use to teach your kids about how to save the value of an earned dollar, et cetera? All right, Katie. Well, I did a whole segment on this on the Live with Kelly and Ryan last week. I'll share some of the segment tips and a few other things. So my kids are young. They're six and three and a half, almost four. So we don't have bank accounts for them. We don't really talk sophisticated things with them, although they do have piggy banks. So for their five-year-old niece or nephew, for your five to seven-year-old, five to eight-year-old niece or nephew, they're totally into, you know, piggy bank savings. I think having a physical tool to demonstrate the importance of saving is helpful and is concrete for young ones. The Money Savvy Piggy Bank is awesome. It's been around for 20 years. It's award-winning. You can buy it anywhere. I think it's like $20. It comes in all different colors. It's translucent so the kids can see their coins and dollars in the piggy bank. But here's the best part of it. There are four slots, save, spend, donate, invest, which is revolutionary. A very simple twist to the traditional savings bank of having just one slot, but important because it teaches kids and it reminds adults that money has more than one use. We often think that money is to be saved. Oh, and then, you know, you spend it, but you can save it. You can save some of your birthday money. You can spend some of your birthday money. You can invest some of it. So when they're a little bit older, we talk to them about what investing means and and maybe buy some shares of stocks together uh, and follow those just as a way to introduce them to things like compound interest and the volatility in the market. And then you can also donate. So money has many uses. Money means options. And something we talk about on the show all the time is something you can start teaching kids as young as kindergarten. For the tweens in your in your family, if I had to give one recommendation is to introduce an allowance or the idea of earning their own money somehow, whether that's through above chores that go a little bit above and beyond what's expected of them. So, you know, helping to clean out the attic, helping to shovel the driveway, helping to clean mom's office or organize my bookshelf by color coordination or alphabetical order, (laughs) whatever my OCD mother requires of me, that can earn them money. And also there may be jobs around the neighborhood like dog walking, pet sitting. Uh, I just on Facebook was browsing the mommy and daddy Facebook page for my town. And a mother was saying that her 11-year-old was offering online chess lessons for $5 an hour. So cute, right? And also a way for parents to monitor and be involved in that earning aspect. Because when you're 10 or 11, like, you know, you can't really go work at the restaurants yet. The tween set is also a good age group for introducing investing to them. Something a lot of my guests have said on the show, looking back at their financial learnings from childhood is that they did not learn about investing. And they really wish they had learned about the power of investing and even how the markets can be volatile, but the importance of getting in early. And so if there is some sign of interest, and even if not, but sometimes you just know your kid, you know that they would or would not be receptive to learning about how the stock market works, what investing is, a really easy way to introduce this to them 
is to think about the companies that you all use in your day-to-day life, the brand name of your car, maybe it's the brand name of the products in your house, and then looking up those companies if they're publicly traded to see where their stocks are at and maybe simulating a stock purchase or even buying a few shares just to track it. And I know this isn't teaching diversification and long-term investing, but I think about those kids whose parents invested in GameStop, for example, for them, like bought it at $6 or whatever. And I've been reading a lot of these articles about these 11-year-old kids, 12-year-old kids that have now thousands of dollars because of GameStop. And, you know, the hype aside and the craziness aside, what they learned is important. You know, they learned about the importance of investing and maybe not how you're really supposed to do it, like do it diversified and do it in a portfolio and have a long-term approach. Don't cash out after four days. Uh, But I think it's an important introduction that they are getting that many kids aren't at this age and frankly won't get for another 10 or 15 years. But they're going to have this moment to reflect on to say, you know, I remember learning about investing because we invested in a share of GameStop or how many shares and it grew. And so they can see the potential. And hopefully when they're older, they'll along the way learn the importance of, as I said, you know, in diversification and long-term investing, but they're not going to be shy to it, right? They're not going to be completely blindsided by it. So don't be upset that you didn't get in on this GameStop stuff. But I guess the point is, is that if there is interest in within your young kids to learn about investing, nurture it. And you can do that by maybe every week or every month coming together as a family and talking about a stock that you're tracking and maybe buying it and following it. And really just for the purpose of education, not because you want to you know, cash in or teach your kids how to like get rich quick, but really just how investing works. Teens, I think really important if there's one piece of advice for parents. Uh, Talk about college and the expense that goes along with that earlier than later. Check out my conversation with Ron Lieber, who wrote a book called The Price You Pay. Maybe buy that book for your brothers and sisters that have teenage kids, that have kids that are in maybe late stage middle school, early stage high school, to learn about how to then communicate the whole college affordability conversation with their kids and what their kids can do starting as young as ninth grade to support their college ambitions and also help to pay for it. Okay, that's a wrap for this Friday, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in next week. We got a big show. We got some great shows for you. On Monday, we've got Trudy LeBron. Trudy coaches business leaders and business owners on how to take an impact-driven, equity-centered approach to work, to business, to leadership. We also talk about how as individuals, as consumers, as investors, how we can be more socially driven, socially conscious, socially impactful in our purchases, in our investments, and just in our way of life. How just, you know, giving financial advice to somebody who doesn't normally have access to financial advice is a way of being socially conscious and helping to close the wealth gap. Simple stuff we can all do. Check out Monday's episode with Trudy LeBron. And then next week, Wednesday, also Fee Gentry stops by. If you're interested in real estate and how to get in on real estate as an investor, especially if you're a person of color, Fee Gentry has advice for us. She is a real estate advisor. She calls herself not just a real estate agent, but an agent for change. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money. 